behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept and neither has come. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered, unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. (laughs) Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label, but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv. Starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? It's a miracle. We are here on schedule despite Viv. uh, To be honest, I didn't think we'd make it this week, even though we promised everyone last week that we'd be on time. And it's so uncool and cliche to talk about our podcasting schedule, particularly in the intro, but... Massive floods up here on the Sunshine Coast. I, I thought there was a chance we'd be without internet. We wouldn't make it today. Not to mention that I've spent the entire afternoon, including through a planned doctor's appointment, sleeping after a bit of a uh, full-on reaction to my booster. So the fact that I'm awake and the fact that you're not underwater is pretty impressive. Do you feel a, a little immortal after that third jab? Uh, no, I feel anything but immortal right now. I feel very... <laughs> Very fragile, but one can only hope that after having COVID and reacting this strongly to the vaccine that something good is going on in my body. (laughs) This week on That's Entertainment, why did the Bragg Media buy the music network? Ready for battle, Australia's streaming wars in 2022. And in this week's hot take, are Australia's music charts still relevant? As always, my short answer is no. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's begin with the news that we did tease last week, Viv, which was uh, that the Bragg Media has acquired uh, the music network from yours truly uh, and the fact that we'll be sort of reunited over there. You're coming across to write uh, for the music network and the industry observer and whatever else the Bragg Media does in the trade space, which there's already some rumours about, mind you. Yes, there are lots of rumours. And one thing that's been noted is my incredible ability to work for men who then sell their publications out from uh, underneath (laughs) me. And you've done it to me not once, but twice. So I definitely don't have all the answers here. I guess you would have to tell me, why did the Bragg Media buy the music network? A sucker for punishment. (laughs) Luke Gurgis, the uh, CEO of the Bragg Media, might become the fourth male publisher to do that to you. (laughs) Look, anything is possible, but I think it it wasn't actually hugely surprising for me when you started talking about it. There's been a really friendly rivalry between the publications and I think the strength of them all working together will ultimately be better for the industry, even though often consolidation can make people think there'll be less voices, less options, less alternatives. I think that this might actually play out in everyone's favour. Yeah, I think this news uh, is surprising to some, but not to many. The truth is that Luke and uh, Poppy Reed, the now editor-in-chief over there, and I have been having this conversation almost since the day that Luke uh, launched the Bragg Media, which originally was 7th Street Media, uh, and it's something that we've continued to chat about on and off over the years, uh, and I think now is the right time, purely because of where they're at as uh, as a business. Uh, and like I said, there's, you know, there's a lot of sense in bringing these titles together, and the Music Network, which has been around for some 27 years now, I mean, it's got such a storied history within the music industry, and of course they've got uh, the Industry Observer uh, at the Bragg Media, or 
we have the Industry Observer at <laughs> uh, the Bragg Media now, I should say. Uh, and I think we'll create a very different voice for both of those platforms uh, moving forward. TMN will really stay focused on the business of music, uh, particularly the recorded side. And that leads into you know brand partnerships and tech, etc. And the Industry Observer will pivot slightly and just really double down on its coverage of the live sector. In the UK, they have IQ Magazine. In the US, they have Polster. Uh, both of those outlets are purely focused on really the business of bums on seats and they talk to promoters, uh, agents, uh, venue operators, ticketing companies, etc. And I think given that the industry uh, is really facing a, a major recovery after COVID, I think having that clear voice uh, for that sector of the music industry will be really important. I think we can do some great work there. There's also some rumours, Jake, from my former colleague Zoe Samios that uh, they could be launching mm-hmm. Variety in Australia. It wouldn't be my place to say anything. Is it your place to say anything if Zoe is correct? Cer- certainly not my place to say anything. What I would say is that Variety is uh, hands down my most favourite masthead in the world, period, uh, and that it is part of uh, Penske Media Corporation, PMC, which of course does have a relationship with the Bragg Media already. They publish Rolling Stone, of which has been launched locally and successfully uh, by Bragg. Uh, so if Variety were to come, that, that would be exciting. It would be exciting. I did get a call from a few PRs today, actually, about uh, to find out whether Variety was coming to Australia or not. Have you had those texts yet? Calls? I've been sleeping all day, Jake. I don't even want to look at what's been going on <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> uh, and probably the biggest adjustment this week, aside from going from boss to having a boss, uh, is just learning how to use Slack all over again. I'm most excited about making a number of custom emojis of Jake to reflect his uh, various moods now that he's an employee again. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> Uh, do I have moods? I don't think I've got moods. You've got moods, definitely. I don't think I've got moods. Sure, sure. <laughs> I look forward to seeing uh, my custom emojis that you make then. Right. Well, uh, look, it's exciting. You'll see our bylines and, of course, those of Lars Brandel as well, who's been writing for TIO and continues to write for Billboard uh, in the US, another PMC title, uh, across the Industry Observer, the Music Network, whatever else might be yet to come. Uh, Still to come on this week's podcast, our hot take, we're looking at the ARIA charts and the addition of YouTube data and just how relevant they still are. But up next, Ready for Battle, Australia's streaming wars in 2022. Viv, when you and I uh, sat down to think about what we might want to cover on this week's podcast, we both uh, referred to a story sort of buried in the uh, Southern Cross Austereo financial results around the rise of Listener, its streaming platform, which includes music and podcasts uh, and some live content as well uh, and uh, a feed of its uh, dab stations, I think, and a lot of original stuff that it's creating there and the fact that it has now got 500,000 users, so I assume that's 500,000 people who have logged in Uh, to uh, get a taste of what's inside Listener. Grant Blackley, the CEO of Southern Cross Stereo, and his chief content officer, Dave Cameron, have for over a year now since Listener's launch been talking about how Listener exists at the centre of the business. It's not an afterthought. It's not a catch-up platform. Everything starts with and ends with Listener, even the more traditional radio output and and radio talent, they say it's still all about driving people to listener, building up that platform and making that the centrepiece of the business. 
I suspect they're very happy with that 500,000 logged in users because I do remember being at a dinner last year with uh, SCA when myself and the company were still on speaking terms and Grant Blackley uh, mentioned that there are 15 million Australians aged over 18 who could potentially log into platforms such as Listener. A lot of people then sort of took that as, you know, Grant Blackley having very, very lofty expectations that this product that was a couple of months old could reach 15 million people. But 500,000 is really starting to to get on the way to that and they do have very, very lofty ambitions for it. And one of the ways I think they will succeed is through exclusive content because that's the thing that will get people to download the app and to go into it. Yeah, I mean, you take a leaf out of TV's book. It's the original content that brings us to Netflix or Stan or whatever it might be in the first place. And I think that's where uh, Listener has an edge up against uh, iHeartRadio. I know there are some stations, for example, uh, genre-specific stations like iHeartCountry with some original content and programming on it. Uh, But, of course, uh, Listener and SEA have taken that one step further. And I... What is interesting, though, is how both of them share their numbers. I mean, I've got both uh, iHeart and Listener on my phone, uh, but how they determine uh, what a user is and and how many people are actually using it are very different metrics. So it makes it very hard to compare. But ultimately, they are the app product of two radio networks. Yes, so ARN's iHeart Radio claims 2.17 million, but that is, uh, in inverted commas, lifetime registered users. So what's not clear with that figure, uh, and to be fair, it's not really clear with the SCA listener figure either, is how frequently people use this app or how long it's been since this logged in user logged in. Facebook, for example, which is long critiqued for its metrics and measurements, does sort of say monthly active users, which at least gives you a picture that even though there might be X million people on Facebook, well, Y million are using it actively per month. It is a way of sort of keeping things a bit different between the two companies so you can't directly compare them. Uh, but I do know that I th- this will be the year where they really ramp up that that battle and focus uh, a lot of spending, a lot of investment and a lot of marketing on Listener and on iHeart. I think SCA uh, admittedly has done a fantastic job of marketing Listener. Uh, it's certainly getting that recognition now you know, outside of the bubble and that 500,000 figure uh, suggests that is absolutely true. And I think their commitment to original programming, uh, particularly you know, with Steve Price with his show and Mikey and Emma coming across, and I appreciate that there's some dab uh, and perhaps regional radio crossover there as well. But they are big commitments for an app to make. A lot of people sort of ask the question, why are they getting into the app wars or the streaming wars? Uh, And I think the, it's easy to sort of suggest that they should stay focused on their core business of selling 30 second spots and, you know, brand integrations in programming. But the bigger picture here, I think, is really a data play. They absolutely need to have access to to data and to digital in 2022. The CEO of uh, ARN, Kieran Davis, has talked about media companies of the future and how they will need customer data, customer logins and a digital platform. In SCA's case, given how much some of their radio networks are struggling in metro markets, it would be silly of them to focus only on stations that have like a 2.9 or a 3.3% share of audience when they can actually get those same programs, those same people to reach far more of the country, far more listeners 
across a much wider digital platform and they can track it much better as well in terms of interaction, in terms of the ads that have been listened to, and then they can sell that on to marketers. One thing I would say in terms of I think you've been very complimentary of listener versus uh, perhaps iHeart is a huge play for platforms like this is getting commercial brand deals such as ARN's Woolies Radio where they program for the music that you hear in Woolworths stores and that would be a huge, huge contract where they get a lot of money and the reason they can get that money is they can prove their music expertise, they can prove their programming expertise and they can prove their reach. I don't think that's something we've seen listener get into as publicly yet. Nova does the Coles Radio iHeart does the Woolworths radio. I wonder if listener will start wanting those brand partnerships to push their music and to push their platform. Yeah, I mean, it's really about the radio companies becoming audio companies. And we've spoken about this uh, at length on this podcast, uh, which leads me to Commercial Radio Australia. And I'm hearing that they're very, very close, uh, even imminently uh, close to announcing a new CEO. And I think that's one of the areas where CRA uh, has done a fair bit of groundwork uh, from a tech perspective, even launching their own uh, radio app. Uh, but I think that's really going to be a key focus for whoever comes into this role next is to really position CRA as uh, as more of an audio-focused body. They're coming in at a really pivotal time for the industry as all of their main stakeholders really shift to this digital audio and almost multimedia uh, platform. So they will absolutely need to make sure that CRA follows suit. CRA has launched things such as the updated podcast ranker. They are slowly changing the digitization of the uh, ratings for radio, but I do think that will need to appear to be moving much quicker because really they should be leading the way rather than following uh, the people that sort of pay them to exist. And uh, beyond the sort of, as it stands currently, two-way battle uh, for streaming in Radioland, you've got to go over to television where it's much more competitive and there are a lot more players, potentially a lot more money at stake as well. Uh, you know, obviously there's, uh, there's Binge, who I think have done an incredible job uh, of really putting Foxhill back on the map, if I'm honest. Yes, I spent years writing about Foxtel's various, in inverted commas, revolutions where they promised something new and a rebrand and everything was all shiny and exciting and yet their churn rate of customers would continue to blow out. They've absolutely turned that narrative and that reality around with their KO sports streaming service and binge their entertainment streaming service. It's obviously not hampered by those clunky boxes. It doesn't need a technician to come out. You don't have to sign away your life for 75,000 years only to get 100 reruns of The Simpsons. It's so <laughs> much better and the tech is really good and that's a key difference between it and the legacy Foxtel product. It's really helped reassert Foxtel as a key player in content because they've got some great content partnerships and as we spoke of at the top of this podcast those exclusives those originals are what get consumers to sign up and to stay if you don't have something that can only be found on your platform that everyone is talking about at one time that's launched on a certain date that's almost like appointment television within a couple of days for your key consumers then people are going to keep flicking to and from your platform rather than sticking with it. I do remember getting a Netflix uh, subscription way back when, uh, and then when Stan came along thinking, oh, I don't know if I need a Stan subscription as well. I mean, what's, what's on Stan? What's there? Uh, and, of course, 
I did. Uh, and I think now I probably spend more time between Stan and Binge. I don't even remember the last time I opened Netflix, if I'm honest. Still paying for it. This one, I need you to show them how sexy Stan can be. Can I just say me and my big pussy love it? Is that your pussy I'm smelling? Yes. It's nice. A little piquant, but it's fragrant. Yeah, Stan has had a bit of a tumultuous time with some of its content partnerships. You know, it used to have the full Disney catalogue. So that was a great way to get nostalgic people my age on the platform, uh, people with children. Disney's also got a whole universe outside there, you know, animated Little Mermaid, Lion Kings of the world. When they lost that, when Disney launched its own platform, Disney Plus, there were lots of predictions that Stan was in trouble. It couldn't keep relying on these international partnerships. It could be ripped away from underneath them when every production house, every content owner launched its own platform. What Stan has done really well to counter that is to position itself more as the local player. It has a lot of local originals. It does also get a lot of international exclusives. And I think there's enough on there that people know is only on Stan that it does have a sort of uh, standalone spot in the market. Some of those exclusives do come from other players, including Paramount, uh, for example. So it would be interesting to see how that plays out with uh, 10 CBS, which is just rebranded. to How many times has 10 rebranded? Which is now Paramount ANZ and what their plans are in the market as well around streaming and whether some of that content that does sit under Paramount or any future players might come off Stan and, and be redirected to those players as they enter the market. I'm sure it will be redirected as soon as Paramount can. This is the thing. You do these deals and I would suspect that Stan has tried to lock it in for as long as possible, knowing that Paramount amount would be coming to this market because that has been long, long speculated. It gives them some buffer. It gives them time to make other partnership deals or even to make one-off partnership deals for a certain really big film franchise or TV series. Not everything has to be completely dumped onto one platform. They do want to be reaching people across different platforms so that eventually they can sneakily pull one thing and let consumers know I know you're addicted to Stan, but we've just moved this over here. Why don't you come and try Paramount Plus? So there's a lot of games, a lot of deals and a lot of content floating around on these platforms. And again, I do think that this year will be the year that we see some consumers consolidation because I think we spoke about this last week. We just can't keep all of our 17 subscription services going at once. <laughs> I think I do have about 17. <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right, still to come on That's Entertainment. Up next, in fact, our hot take of the week, our Australia's music chart still relevant. That's Entertainment Hot Take. On Tuesday, the Australian Recording Industry Association announced that it would include YouTube data to its music charts from this Friday. Uh, it's only coming in from logged-in users, though, Viv. Yeah, it's a really interesting move because everybody listening would know that the sale of physical records, physical CDs, isn't the only thing that drives music success or even chart success in 2022. People listen to music across all different platforms, engage with it in different ways. But what's interesting when you start getting into YouTube is that element of, well, how much of it is just accidentally playing when somebody's on a playlist that keeps going for hours and hours? How much is a video view worth compared to buying a $30 CD? 
And ARIA has said that they do uh, weight these uh, with an economic weighting factor, which seeks to convert streams into digital sales equivalents. I would love to know how much a video view of an official music video on YouTube when I'm logged in compares to, say, paying for and downloading the album in full. I think it's really important that we incorporate streaming, incorporate digital, but I think it does make the charts far, far more complicated. Music charts in the music industry are like opinions. <laughs> everyone's got one. Everyone's going to tell you about it. And it's for good reason. I think the ARIA charts have been fairly stale, uh, albeit they've made efforts uh, to invigorate them and to make them more relevant over the years. Uh, but when you look at what's happening in other markets, you could put forward the argument that they've failed to do that. It's not an easy task, and I think particularly as things change so much, uh, even look at the rise of, of TikTok and, and how influential it is now in the music industry. I appreciate that it's not a sale when somebody you know puts, uh, puts a little clip of a song there, but it does have a meaningful impact for an artist's career. So perhaps the word sales is what is redundant here, and we need to take a more sort of broader, holistic view of, of what really matters matters to an artist, what metric, and then how we, you know, bring those together. I know on the Music Network, when we published the radio charts back in the day, when we actually had a system that weighted it, and it was no easy task, and we'd be constantly consulting with and getting counsel from the industry on how we improve them. You know, one spin on KISS FM in Sydney at breakfast is worth much more than a spin from, you know, Ballarat at 3am on a Saturday morning. So figuring out, you know, how that kind of works together is uh, is a very difficult process. And, and like I said, other markets have managed to do it. I think Billboard hands down, produce the best music charts in the world right now. Uh, so it'll be, you know, a challenge to continue to make them relevant. I think there's already a perception that the charts now are purely just a marketing gimmick for releases uh, and not really anything more than that. I think it's interesting that uh, it's they've done this with YouTube, which is sort of in partnership with ARIA at the moment on a number of other projects, including being the broadcast partner and streaming partner for the recent ARIA awards that obviously because of COVID haven't been able to take place in the way that uh, we were used to pre-pandemic. Yama Australia and welcome to the 2021 ARIA Awards. Aria did say that this uh, YouTube data will help the association reflect the bigger picture of music consumption in Australia. But they did talk about this being part of a successful partnership with YouTube, thank them for their cooperation, rather than making this about, you know, the, the music, the artists, the accuracy of the data. I just found the language around it being such a strong partnership said to me this was more of a commercial deal than something that was being done to make sense and to make the, the charts make more sense. Rip the music charts. <laughs> uh, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me without, I'm looking at you, if you can tell me what, uh, what the number one album is right now on the ARIA charts. You will give me $50. Yeah. I don't know. I do. Do you know what? It's in, it's in my head somewhere because I think I had to write an article about it. But truly, I'm going to blame uh, the vaccine sleepiness again uh, because normally my memory is uh, flawless and today it is very, very flawed. I don't need your $50 anyway. 
you could just argue that the charts are redundant, irrelevant, uh, but that's okay. Uh, it's Midnight Oil, of course, with Resist. Oh, I don't think I did know that. So I take it all back. I had no idea and uh, I apologise to the Moderna vaccine for blaming it. <laughs> we cover the music industry. <laughs> Look, shit, shit. I, didn't, I didn't know that, but congratulations to them. What an achievement. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.